The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Let's uh, turn to Luke chapter 1. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And uh, we're reading through the verses uh, 57 through 80. And if you're using the uh, Bible in front of you underneath the chair, uh, that would be on page 804. Luke chapter, chapter 1, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from, from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, I'd like to invite up Brian Hubert. He's going to be uh, preaching today. Uh, Those who don't know Brian, maybe he'll elaborate a little bit himself, maybe not, don't know, putting pressure on him here. Uh, no, Brian's one of the pastors here. Um, he's served faithfully for, for years um, now, and I've known Brian for like 20 years, like legit. So um, good man. I love him. I would encourage you to pay attention. Um, the Bible talks about those who have ears to hear. Um, so honestly, as I walk back to my seat in a second, I'm just going to be praying for us in this congregation that we'd have ears to hear, including myself, that we could hear what maybe the Spirit's speaking to us through this story that if you've been in church a long time, you probably know well. If you don't, you might find it kind of odd. Um, but the reality of it is, is that God has something to speak to us about him and about us this morning. And I'd encourage you to pay attention. Thanks, John. Good morning, Delta. It's good to see everyone this morning. Getting close to Christmas, aren't we? 
What's on the next page? Luke 2, the Christmas story, right? Um, next week, Jonathan's going to be preaching on that. There might be a lot of disappointed kids next week. You know, I, I, Mom, Dad, I heard the Christmas story. I know what Christ's birth means. I know what Luke 2 means. That means Christmas, but it's a billion degrees outside. There's no lights, no tree, no presents. Uh, oh, and I still have four and, a th- four and a half months. Well, thanks a lot, Pastor Jonathan, for, uh, for getting me set up. Um, so hopefully we're not setting up kids up for failure. But, you know, if you remember as a kid, do you remember how excited you were about Christmas time? And like not for the good reasons either, right? Not because we get to celebrate Christ's birth or, or time with family. What were we excited about? Presents, right? Presents. I remember as a kid, you, you look forward with anticipation and hope uh, to Christmas. You look forward to something uh, great. And what do we do? We talked about it. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies is A Christmas Story. Uh, you know, the one with the Red Rider BB gun? And what's the guy always talking about? The Red Rider BB gun, Red Rider BB gun. Like, that's what, he's, that's what he's excited about. So, as kids, we look forward with anticipation to, to Christmas. And even as adults, and, and we talked about it, uh, even as adults, we look forward with great anticipation to certain things in our lives, whether that be like vacation or, or time with family or holidays something at work, something in our family. We anticipate something great, and what do we do? We're prone to talk about it. Prone to talk about it. Today in our text, we see an amplified, magnified, and infinitely more weighty version of this. Zechariah, upon the birth of his son, is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he speaks of great and glorious things to come. As we begin, I want you to recall the story of Zechariah. Um, Jonathan preached on this a, a few weeks ago. Um, you re- we've read it already in Luke. Um, what happened? Zechariah, he was a priest, right? I mean, he wasn't a young priest. He was an older priest. He was advanced in years. And he didn't have any children. Uh, the text says that his wife Elizabeth was barren. So Zechariah was in the temple. He's offering incense. It was his turn to be in there. And an angel of the Lord named Gabriel appeared to Zechariah. He told Zechariah that, Zechariah, your wife is going to give birth. And Zechariah, I don't know if he didn't fully believe him, but he kind of questioned the angel. And because of this, the angel said, you're not going to be able to talk until these things come to pass, until John is born. And, And the angel says, you shall name him John. And the angel says great things, that the Lord will use John to turn people back to him to prepare the people for the Lord's coming. So Zechariah received this great promise, and he's rendered mute, so he can't even talk about it. And now we get to our text. Um, I'm going to be going along in the text. I'd encourage you to read with me. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, and he blessed in blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. 
And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then shall this, will, will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. What a great story, right? I mean, just think about it. in and of itself, you're not able to have children. God uh, works a miracle in Elizabeth's womb. They have a son. What great joy, what great thankfulness that Zechariah and Elizabeth must have had. This, this is a good story in and of itself. But John was not only for Elizabeth and Zechariah's benefit. The Lord will use John mightily as a precursor to God incarnate Jesus Christ. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth's good news is our good news because he ushers in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we, we're going to look at Zechariah's words, and we see in his words, these aren't words of, yes, I have a son. How awesome is this? I'm a dad. There aren't even words of, thank you, Lord, for my son. My wife was barren, now I have a son. That's not what Zechariah is going to say. We're going to see that Zechariah's words speak much more than the blessing that he received. They speak to the blessing that God's people will receive. Zechariah breaks forth with words of prophecy, and it is prophecy filled with hope. Hope in God for rescue. It's a song about God, God acting in history, God remembering his promises, and God saving his people. And so I want us to consider our main point this morning. Our main point this morning. Our promise-keeping God mightily acts to save his people. Our promise-keeping God mightily acts to save his his people. So point number one, the Lord acts for his people. I want us to read the next section of Zechariah's prophecy with specific attention to what the verbs he is using. Let's look at the verbs. And his father, Zechariah, this is John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, blessed be the God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemy enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant now friends i want us to remember the setting of the Gospels and the setting of the life of Christ. The setting is this. Israel needed help. So recall Israel's history up to this point. Going back to um, the Exodus. So they're out of Egypt. They're in the Promised Land. God's fighting for them. Uh, We have some kings, some good kings, some bad kings. Israel makes some mistakes. They forget about God, a large majority of them. They're off to exile to a foreign land. God graciously brings them back to their promised land, but things aren't all great because now they're under occupation by who? The Roman Empire. So Israel is in the promised land. They have their temple, but they're still subject to Rome. They still have enemies. Israel, God's people, they haven't had a prophetic word in like 400 years. They're in their land near their temple, but they're occupied. And their king, King Herod, not a great king, he's an unjust puppet king for the Roman Empire. And they're ruled by the Roman Empire. Israel still needed help from their enemies. 
And if you notice Zechariah's words, what, what tense is he using? It's all past tense. Visited, redeemed, raised up. But it's past tense words filled with future and present tense realities and hopes. He is sure these things are going to happen. And what does he say? He says, God has visited. Visiting means he's present. And we see in the birth of Jesus Christ, what is Jesus known as? Emmanuel, God with us. God is incarnate with his people. Zechariah says that God has redeemed. And what is redemption? Redemption is the release of people, animals, or property from bondage or slavery through the payment of a price. So we see that God is redeeming his people. He's paying a price for his people to release them from slavery. God has raised up a horn of salvation. That was always a weird term for me, horn of salvation. But if you think about the horn, that's, that's the strong part of the animal. That's the business end of the animal. A horn of salvation means a strong salvation, a strong rescue. God will act mightily. God will save from enemies. This is the history of Israel, right? God saving Israel from their enemies. God will show mercy. He'll have compassion and rescue Israel. So Zechariah, if I'm summing this up, Zechariah is proclaiming that the Lord is acting in history. The Lord is acting in history. He's acting on Israel's behalf and for their benefit. See, friends, what I want us to know this morning is that God acts. See, God is not impotent. God is not ignorant. God is not apathetic. God helped Israel in their helplessness, and he does the same for us. The Lord acts for his people. Some Christians, I mean, even mature Christians, I don't think anyone's exempted from this. But we can be lulled into seeing God as, in the circumstances of life, sometimes God is, is weak, or he's, he's far off, or he can't help me, or he really doesn't know, or he's apathetic, he really doesn't care. Friends, I'm here to tell you, when you hear those things, Fight against them, because they're a lie. God does care. He knows your need, and he's strong enough to help, and he is near. So many times in our lives, like we get in points of, of, of despair, and sometimes really deep despair, feelings of helplessness. And it's really natural, because life is not easy, right? Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Now he finishes up with, fear not, uh, for I have overcome this world. But this is part of the Christian life. We're not exempted from this. But we can sometimes stay in this state of despair because life is hard and we live in a fallen world. Life circumstances, pressure, stress cause us to lose sight of who God is and how He acts. So just think about these scriptures that tell us that God is near, near to us. Psalm 24, I'm sorry, Psalm 34, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Isaiah 41, this is a, a Hubert 
family memory verse. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See, friends, God tells us that he is near to us. God is also strong. Psalm 24, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. God is strong. Jeremiah 34, this is, this is the Lord speaking. I love this. He says, behold, I am the Lord. God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Rhetorical question. Answer, no. Nothing is too hard for God. And God knows. He's near to us. He's strong and he knows. He is perfect in knowledge. He knows everything. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And we, we talk about God knowing all things. The, the fancy word is his, his omniscience. God knows all He knows all things actual, all things possible. Not only does he know, God is wise in that he knows the best goals and the best means to those goals. Furthermore, we see that God cares. 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. This verse is golden. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Friends, what I want us to see, God is not far off. God cares. He's mighty. And he's strong. The Lord acts for his people. The Lord acts for his people. He's chosen us. He loves us. Let us remember this and ask for his help. So the Lord acted for Israel in Zechariah's prophecy, and he acts for us. The Lord acts for his people. Let's look at our second point this morning. So the Lord acts for his people. Second point, the Lord keeps his promises to his people. The Lord keeps his promises to his people. Verse 72. To show the mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So we read that all these promises of God, all the things God is going to do, they come about because he's made a covenant with Abraham a long time ago. Now, what was this covenant? So if you know your Old Testament history, this goes back to Genesis. My opinion, Genesis is one of the most important books of the whole Bible because in Genesis, you see how the rest of the Bible unfolds. Why is the rest of the Bible here? Because of what's going on in Genesis, the thing things God says in Genesis. So God called Abram. God called Abram, uh, Abraham. He used to be known as Abram. God was going to make him a great nation. God was going to bless him. God was going to make his name great. He will be a blessing to all the earth. In Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The Lord would be Abraham's God and to his offspring. And the offspring would be like the stars of heaven. What was the problem with that promise, right? Abraham, did he have a lot of offspring? No, he didn't have any offspring when God was making that promise to him. No offspring. God, in his mercy, gives Abraham uh, children. And those children had children. Those children had children. 
So Abraham, childless, has a son Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had a bunch of kids. Nation of Israel forms. They're in Egypt, uh, slaves. They're released. They're in exile. They're back to the promised land. But what's still the problem? They're occupied by Rome. So it might have appeared to Israel. We haven't heard from God in a long time. We're in our promised land. There's, our, our temple is there but we're still under occupation. And it might have appeared that God was silent. He was gone. He was far off. Maybe he forgot about us. But that is far from the case. See, God promised, and every promise God makes, he remembers. Remember not in the forgetful sense, like, oh yeah, I made that promise to Abraham a long time ago, but but remembering in the I am going to fulfill this sense, in the fulfillment sense. God's timing is perfect. Israel could have been tempted to despair, but that was not the case. God remembered his people, remembered his promises, and he sent his son Jesus Christ to fulfill all the promises of God. Friends, we have a promise-keeping God. And we find ourselves in the new covenant as God's people. And what are the promises of the new covenant for his people? That God will forgive us and he will remember our sins no more. And we're partakers of those, that, those great promises as part of the new covenant. But as we read scripture, we can also rest and find peace knowing that God keeps each specific promise we find in scripture. He keeps the big covenant promises, right? He kept his covenant to Abraham. He fulfills his covenants through Jesus Christ. But he keeps each specific promise that we find in scripture. And what are some examples Well, these are some that are dear to me. We have a promise that God is with us. Joshua, and then Hebrews picks this up later, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have a promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Later, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In verse 37, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a promise, and it's a promise God's going to make good on. We have a promise that Jesus is coming back to rescue us and make all things right. That's right. Jesus came, died on the cross. If we're a Christian, we're saved from our sins, but we still live in our present reality where things aren't perfect, like we still live in the world. But we know that Jesus is coming back for us, like any time. Like before I finish this sentence, the end of Revelation says this, uh, that he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon, and our hope is, amen, come Lord Jesus. That's a promise God is going to make good on. We have the promise of heaven where there's no more pain, suffering, sin, or sorrow. This is from Revelation as well. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Great promises, like four promises of the bunch of promises that are in Scripture. God will keep each of these promises. God keeps all of his promises. And we as his people should have full trust and faith in these promises. Point three, the Lord mercifully saves his people. Look with me, verse 76. So Zechariah is speaking kind of in general. Now he turns to his son. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So Zechariah, I don't know if he's holding his newborn baby boy. I like to to think that he is. I remember the joy I felt holding each of my kids. And Zechariah turns and speaks to John, the newly named John. He speaks about what his life will be, but more significantly, he describes it describes in beautiful detail the salvation that's going to come to Israel. And I love the language he uses. He says that God will show tender mercy. God will show tender mercy. Think about those words, tender. Our God condescended to us in Jesus Christ. When we hear the the word condescended, that means like like you're belittling someone. But if you think, the, the, the true definition of the word is he comes down to us. So God in his infinite glory came down to live life as a man. And he gently deals with us. And I think that on my best days, when my kids are are upset or hurting or even in their mistakes or whatever, and I stoop down to them and I look them in the eye and tell them how much I love them and how much I care for them. And if God is described as our Father. I think there's a parallel there. And it's kind of a lesser to greater argument. If I, if you're a parent and you know how much you love your kids and you want the best for them, apply that to God, who is infinitely better than you are. And think of that. And that is tender mercy. That God will deal with us with tender mercy. He gently deals with us. And He is merciful. He finds us in our weakness. See, we were not lovely before Christ came and saved us. God didn't see us and say, like, well, Brian, he's trying really hard. I guess I'll save him. That's not how salvation works. We are depraved. The classic Reformed doctrine, human depravity. God sees us in our mess, and he comes and rescues us and redeems us. He is merciful. He finds us in our weakness. 
He shows kindness, and he brings relief. And he also says, and I love this, this phrase, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those in darkness, right? A clear reference to Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? The light of the world. He came to live among us, to dispel darkness, and he shines bright. And he took us from the kingdom of darkness, and if we're a believer in Christ, he's transferred us to his glorious kingdom of light. And he also says that he's going to guide our feet to the way of peace. Guide our feet to the way of peace. See, God leads us to peace. Jesus Christ leads us to peace. Peace amid life's storms and life's circumstances. But more than that, ultimately, to ultimate peace, when we get to rest in the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. Friends, truly the Lord mercifully saves his people through the perfect, complete, saving work of Jesus Christ, his only Son and our Lord. Friends, the Lord mercifully saves his people. Now, I got to tell you, so much more could be said about these verses, about John's life, what John is pointing forward to. But as I wrap this up, I want to say this. Zechariah's inspired prophecy tells of great news. It tells of the hope, of hope we have in the Lord for rescue, for redemption and salvation, and it reminds us that our promise-keeping God mightily acts to save his people. So friends, as God's people, remember that God acts for us. God acts for his people, and he will act for you. Remember that God keeps his promises, and he will keep his promises to you. And as God's people, remember that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, our loving Savior has mercifully saved us from Satan, sin, death, and hell. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to his glorious light. And his mercies are new every morning. Friends, Jesus Christ came to bring salvation to all who call on him. If you don't know Christ this morning, I want you to see how lovely Christ is. He deals with us mercifully and tenderly. If you don't know him, I pray that you'd find rest in him. You'd ask him to save you. For he says, this is Jesus, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord, we do not deserve the grace and the mercy that you have shown us. God, I thank you that you deal with us tenderly, mercifully. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, light of the world, to shine upon us. Thank you that we have salvation in you, that it is not of our own works, but it is of your loving electing grace placed upon us. God, I pray that we as believers in Christ 
would find our value, our hope, our comfort in you, in your promises to us, in your mercy, and Lord, in the knowledge that you act for us. Thank you, Lord, for all those things. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.